0: I've been telling you for a long time that SaveWithConrad.com can save you money, but don't take my word for it.
1: Hello? Yes, good afternoon, Josh. Yeah. Hi, this is Dave Soba from Save With Conrad. How you doing, Dave? Doing good, my friend, how are you? I'm I'm well, thank you. What made you go to SaveWithConrad.com in the first place? I uh, refinanced twice before, and it felt like I was just spinning my wheels after hearing save with conrad and Dean where my family and i were financially i just gave it a chance and called and i did so we figured out a plan where both of our cars were going to get paid off and i had five thousand dollars in credit card debt so i cleared that out as well so right now i have no debt except for the house i've gained 10 years of principal it almost came to practically over $120,000 with all the interest. And I was like, wow, I've been getting had. I've been getting hustled. So this time, it's time for me to win. And uh, Derek helped me uh, win with this mortgage. That's just awesome. 100,000, over $100,000, that's incredible. I finally got off my ass and made the phone call and swallowed my pride. And thank God I did, because if I didn't swallow my pride, I still would have been down there in the bottom of the hole. The lack of stress that I have now about money has freed me. And now I can live life exactly the way I want it. So what are you waiting for?
0: Find out how much money you can save right now for free. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. Even credit scores in the five hundreds can be approved. And if we can't save you money, we won't waste your time, but because we're licensed in more than 40 States. We can help more families than ever before. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Oh, and did I mention you can skip your next two house payments? Hurry to SaveWithConrad.com.
2: NMLS number 65084, equal housing lenders. Woo!
0: Le Champion, Chris Jericho, talks
1: about Under the Black Hat by Jim Ross to be released March 31st. One of the smartest wrestling minds that I've ever had the pleasure to meet is Jim Ross. And uh, he's a great storyteller, uh, both calling a match and writing a book. All of his books have been great. Under the Black Hat deals with a lot of cool stories, great subjects. My favorite story is the one where he signed me uh, to the biggest wrestling deal I had, the biggest contract I ever had. So Jim Ross uh, basically recruited me. And I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for Jim. Uh, Read all about it. And Under the Black Hat, pre-order it now.
0: <laughs> pre-order your autographed personalized copy of Under the Black Hat by Jim Ross to be released March 31st
1: right now at JRSBBQ.com. That's JRSBBQ.com. Welcome. Do something Nothing to goes. wrestle with. Something it. To with. Bridget. Bridget. Well, you
2: know. That's not a rib. She pooted. She pooted. What <laughs> a rib. No, you have a mean. There's no box of gimmicks. <laughs> rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. And was he there? I was there. Say the Hey, hey, it's Conrad
0: <laughs> Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle With. Ow bruce pritchard okay well that's not exactly true we do have some content you've probably never heard before here with bruce uh, but it's from our Wayback machine in 2016 but before we get to that well i thought i had something slick to say here uh but i don't really know what to say everything is in a state of flux not only in wrestling but in the world with the coronavirus outbreak uh you know i don't know what to say I I'm a country boy from Alabama trying to do my best to entertain you on a wrestling podcast. And, you know, usually I would have some sort of idea of what I was trying to say or convey and, and try to say that with confidence here, but I I don't know what's going on. and, and, And I think a lot of us sort of feel the same way. And I hope that these wrestling podcasts that we've been cranking out can provide you a, a fun distraction from the stresses and pressures of the real world. And I hope that, uh, everyone out there stays healthy. Uh, the audible I've decided to call today, since there is a lot of moving parts in WWE right now, as you might imagine, is to go back and find some audio that Bruce and I recorded in 2016. Now this was, uh, in the very early days of something to wrestle. We had just recently started doing something to wrestle probably three months prior to this. And I was still doing the Rick Flair show and Rick had uh, lost interest in podcasting a little bit by this point. So when a show was due and he was unavailable, Bruce was there and I said, Hey man, why don't we cover Rick's career in the WWF? Now this is uh, literally a last minute decision where we needed to post the show by 9 PM. Uh, he and I came up with this idea at four. I was still at the office working, uh, and then we raced home, uh, put the show together and put it up. So this show was done without any research. I don't want you to think this will be the last time we talk about Rick's run in the WWE. We will cover it in long form with tons of research like we normally do. Lots of book quotes and things like that, but that's not what we have here today. It's just, uh, two pals talking about the goat, the greatest of all time, the nature boy himself. So I hope you enjoy this uh, episode. It is a little different. It's going to sound a little different. Our dynamic is a little different. Uh, but it's a fun lesson, nonetheless, and, and we're trying to get you some new content. Hopefully it serves as a, a decent enough distraction today on a, a pretty strange Friday. Hope to be back next week with hashtag ask Bruce, anything. Obviously, if we do that, it will be one of the wildest Q and A's we've ever done. Uh, go follow us on Pritchard show. I'm sure Silva's got a graphic pin to the top where you can ask Bruce a question for next week. Uh, I don't know when we'll get back to may young and raw as hand baby, but we'll keep the train on the tracks. So we'll get to it eventually. Anyway, without further ado, here it is the nature boy in WWE from 2016 on the Ric Flair show, with Bruce Pritchard. special edition of the Ric Flair show. Uh, Rick is away, so it's just Bruce Prichard and you can hear us normally on Fridays, something to wrestle with, uh, if you're into that kind of thing, but Bruce, you were there in the very beginning of, uh, what I would call kind of the golden era of wrestling, at least from my perspective, I wasn't really watching prior to WrestleMania three WrestleMania four was my first WrestleMania and that's what I grew up on. So that's what I was always holding near and dear to me. But there was lots of talk back in the day that you guys were in deep negotiations to bring Rick over to the world wrestling federation, even in the late eighties, what did that look like? What happened? What's real? What's not real.
2: Well, come about 1988. The first SummerSlam, there were some negotiations going on, and Rick had expressed interest in coming to the WWF, and uh, he had gone back and forth with Vince. It was was yes, it was no, it was yes, it was no, and originally, Rick was going to be the special guest of Brother Love for Brother Love's first ever pay-per-view at SummerSlam. Wow. And... Uh, so it was near and dear to me. I looked at that as kind of a a cool deal to be able to introduce Ric Flair to the WWF family. It fell through. Uh, we also tried to get Jessica Hahn for that spot who she was hot in the news at the time. Absolutely. And we, we ended up with hacksaw Jim Duggan and, and, uh, Duggan and I had a lot of fun in that spot, but it was one of those deals where they had gone back and forth and, Rick was working with Jim Crockett Promotions out of Charlotte and just kind of fell through. Rick Rick stayed where he was.
0: Yeah, so uh, who wound up doing that Brother Love show with you? Uh, Hacksaw
2: Duggan. Cool. Yeah, it was It was a lot of fun. It's always a lot of fun when uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan has a two-by-four in his hand. He's swinging at you because he's blind as a bat. Was that part
0: of your negotiations? I mean, were you part of the negotiations to bring Rick over?
2: No, I was, I, I wasn't at that time. I, I was mainly doing television for WWE and the brother love gig. So
0: what do you know?
2: Uh,
0: you know what the gist of those conversations between Rick and Vince would have been, would they have discussed positioning on a card? I mean, what he have said, we're going to bring you in and make you a top guy, or we're going to give you a run with the world title, or we want a feud"? we want to put you in a feud with Hogan, or do you have any idea?
2: You know, I'm sure Vince would always keep those negotiations fairly vague. I'm going to give you an opportunity. Uh, he sees potential. Obviously, in someone like Rick Flair, he was the top guy for so many years for the NWA. And I think Vince looked at it as here's an opportunity to get one of their top guys, bring him in, and make him one of our top guys. So... Vince would always talk about opportunity and and here's an opportunity to come in and and do something with the WWF and be a, a bigger star than you've ever experienced before.
0: And, uh, he would even be that vague with a guy in the position of Ric Flair. Sure. Okay.
2: You know, I, I, I go back to Ted DiBiase and the million dollar man. Vince would not tell Ted what the million dollar man gimmick was until Ted committed to come in. So he had an idea. I see big things for you. Think you'd be great, but I'm not sharing it with you till I know you're with me.
0: Did you all know that the Million Dollar Man gimmick was going to be money?
2: There was, yeah. I mean, it was it was a great gimmick, and and there was a viewpoint. Some say, and, and since I wasn't there when I came in, I'm I'm the one that brought Ted to Vince. Ted and I were good friends. There was he laid out the gimmick to me and I, when I said Ted DiBiase says I've got a gimmick for him. It'd be great. He had this box in the corner of his oh office. It was, it was called box of gimmicks. And, um, but anyway, uh,
0: how much of that character do you think is somewhat loosely based on some of Rick's old promos? Because Rick was one of the first guys to come out and talk about,
2: well, that's yeah. where I was going. A lot of people think that that it was going to be Rick. A lot of people felt that it should have been Rick and it, it, who knows it, it might've been, but as time goes on, anybody that knows and spend any time around Vince McMahon, he was the real million dollar man. And, and he lived that gimmick.
0: No, <laughs> was, I, I don't doubt that. it was But Rick really, would
2: have been, Rick would have been great. But it had to be at least
0: loosely inspired. I mean, Rick, Rick at that point hadn't been on TV for years saying, I live in the big house, the big side of town, you know, Rolex wearing, and diamond ring wearing, got a Rolls right. Royce, got a high dive, blah, yeah. blah, blah,
2: without a doubt, Rick uh, would have been a great million dollar man. Cause he was, yeah, he was. And
0: he still is today. I mean, he's, he's still living, living the gimmick. Um, so let's talk, let's fast forward, I guess, on all things. Rick Flair, July of 1991, things come to a head. The great American bash happens and, uh, Rick is not there. Uh, so he, uh, in short order, signs with the WWF the very next month after falling out with Jim Herd. So he signs in August of ninety-one, and you had been on a little bit of vacation at that point.
2: Is that right? That is I was on hiatus. Then okay. used to like called a
0: hiatus.
2: See, uh, you weren't fired, pal. You're just on hiatus with no check. Mm-hmm. Part of the time, yeah. <laughs> oh,
0: okay. All right. So, uh, you actually come back to the company right after SummerSlam in '92, uh, which would have been the Wembley Stadium SummerSlam that so many people are so fond of. Do you know? I mean, have you ever heard one way or another? Uh, because you know, Rick has given his answer on the show before. Why wasn't Rick involved in SummerSlam '92? Do you, I mean, do you
2: know? I don't know.
0: I mean, he was involved, but he wasn't he, booked at a match. There's 80,000 people there, and Rick's not in the match,
2: right? You know, it was, uh, that was Savage and warrior right. for the championship. And it was, it was one of those deals where I guess they planned on making the switch to Rick at some point, but they still had to get Savage warrior out of the way. That's about the, you know, I'm, I'm guessing I'm strictly guessing at that point.
0: Okay. We have to take a break right now. If you're like most Americans, you carry a balance on your credit cards. And if those cards come with high interest rates, well, you need my friends over at Lightstream. It's so easy to lower your interest rate and save with a Lightstream credit card consolidation loan. You can get a rate as low as 5.95% with autopay. Lightstream believes that people with good credit deserve a better loan experience. And that's exactly what they deliver. You can get a loan from $5,000 to $100,000 and there's absolutely no fees. In fact, you can even get your money as soon as the day you apply. Apply today and get a special interest rate discount and save even more. The only way to get the discount is to go to lightstream.com slash wrestle. That's L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M.com slash wrestle. And I got to tell you, I can't recommend this enough. You've heard me tell the story a thousand times. I've done a business with Lightstream personally. I applied online. They overnighted me a check. I was able to shop like a cash buyer at my favorite car dealership the next day. I got the best deal I ever had on an auto loan. It was because I had good credit. And if you have good credit, there's nobody better to borrow money from than lightstream.com. When it comes to things like this, I didn't need a credit card consolidation loan, I needed a car loan, but if you need a credit card consolidation loan, you can save a bundle right here and you even get an additional interest rate discount, just go to lightstream.com slash wrestle. Of course, this is subject to credit approval. The rate includes a half a percent auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash wrestle for more information. Um, so let's talk about the next pay-per-view. The next big thing that you're there for in survivor series, 1992, which was razor Ramon tagging with, uh, Ric Flair against the ultimate warrior and macho man. Now this wasn't the original plan,
2: right? No, that was, uh, wait a minute. No, that, that was the original plan that didn't take place. That was actually, was, that actually ended up being Mr. Perfect and, uh, um, Randy Savage against Rick and, and Razor.
0: But I mean, as far as I wanted you to kind of carry me through the warrior situation,
2: well, warrior, um, warrior just had his, his issues back then. And, and kind of left abruptly is this
0: viewed as, because perfect and Henning had i I'm sorry, perfect and Flair had been kind of paired at the hip for a lot of his run. Is this viewed as a negative to Rick that the warrior's out of the match? So it doesn't seem as high profile (laughs) or is it a positive because now he doesn't have to work with him and he gets to work with his buddy.
2: I preferred. think I think Rick probably looked at it as a positive from the standpoint of not having to work with the Warrior in a match. <laughs> uh, I think the worst matches Ric Flair ever had in his career w- were with the Ultimate Warrior. He would say so. So um, to be able to work with Perfect and Perfect coming back after a long absence in the ring, it was a plus. It was a plus. And one of those things that if you're going to replace... Top guy, you got to replace him with a top guy.
0: I guess what I'm getting at is, I wanted you to kind of carry me through. This leads to ultimately Rick leaving the World Wrestling Federation and going back to the WCW. So my question is, when the Warrior thing happens, had that happened before or after Rick had asked for his release? From from what you recall,
2: the Warrior leaving, yeah. N- no, no, no. you're leaving happened before Rick had asked for his release.
0: Okay, so this thing with Mister Perfect is is written to kind of cover up and, and continue the storyline. Yes. And now, once that feud is started, then Rick asks for his release.
2: Yeah, I, I Rick asked for his release. I want to say sometime in January. Okay, so okay. Of the next year. Well, he
0: leaves in January, so yeah. I'll give it to him very quickly.
2: We did, we did. Rick was unhappy, and Vince was of the opinion he didn't want unhappy people around him and prior to that you know rick was battling vertigo and and had some equilibrium issues that he had to deal with so we didn't have the rick flair of old at that point and he was battling through that and we'd switch the title to brett and rick had another opportunity and and vince wasn't going to stand in his way and gave him his release I remember the night at Survivor Series, not at, oh God, uh, at Monday Night Raw in the Manhattan Center. Yeah. The, the night that we had uh, Perfect and Rick work a match. And I remember Rick calling Arn Anderson on the phone going, hey, you watching Raw? Yeah, watch this. And then went out and dropped the fall to Perfect and said, I'm coming back. So it was, it was pretty quick. It was pretty quick.
0: Uh, so they have a little bit of a run in at Royal Rumble 93 and then go on to have that Lizard Relief sound match you just alluded to on raw. And then he's with the company. Uh, but that's not the only time that you guys kind of flirted with the idea of him being a part of the company because when he was in his, uh, I don't know, what would you call it? A Mexican standoff with Eric Bischoff.
2: Yeah. You know, there, there was always talk back and forth and Rick is one of those guys he's always going to explore his options and see if the grass is actually greener on the other side and he was he was looking for something else and wanted to see if there was any interest testing the waters to see if there was any interest on the other side and I think I would dare to say there was always interest in Rick so you got a great performer and one of the biggest names in the business you know of course there's going to be interest
0: He, uh, he has a little bit of a situation. Uh, 97 is an interesting year for Rick. Um, that year in the war games, you could say they kind of killed the town, uh, with the Carolinas, if you wanted to, when, uh, Kurt Henning turns down his horseman spot, uh, for a spot with the NWO and slams Flair's head in the cage, uh, and so he takes some time off to do, uh, some surgeries there. And then in April of 98. He is, uh, in this Mexican standoff, I guess we'll call it with Eric Bischoff and he's off TV, but there's talk, there's rumors and innuendo, and I want you to address this, that that same month in April of 1998, the WWF is running a pay-per-view called in your house unforgiven with the, um, Greensboro Coliseum, which is obviously a site that was very synonymous with Ric Flair and Starcade and Jim Crockett promotions and the rumors and innuendo would lead you to believe that you guys had worked something out, or at least talked about working something out where you talk about a great world champion sitting ringside and go to interview that champion. Uh, maybe it was just a great wrestling champion ringside and you go to interview that champion. And instead of interviewing Ric Flair, you interview Reed Flair and Rick is just seated next to him just to kind of stir up some controversy. Do I have that right? How did that come about? Whose idea was it? Why didn't it happen?
2: Well the the idea i think was probably floated out there by rick himself and he was looking to stir up as much controversy as he could but we always had been friendly with rick and vince was very careful at that time to navigate those waters with wcw and contract tampering and things of that nature it was it was a messy issue Rick was still under contract, and and it was, it was just messy. So you know, it, it I think cooler heads prevailed, if you will.
0: Yeah, I uh, I would have liked to have seen that. Uh, it would have been something at the time, uh, but I get why it didn't happen. Of course, everybody remembers uh, later that year uh, he returned. He being Rick returned to Nitro to a thunderous ovation and um, confronted. Uh, Eric Bischoff, and it was an interesting show for sure. Uh, a chill bump moment, um, in, in watching wrestling history, at least for me, uh, time passes, they go out of business and, um, you find out that they have bought, uh, that the WWF has bought WCW. And I think you're actually at the last nitro, right? I was, I was. So is that the first time you see Rick in a major way? Um, in a formal capacity, I guess, since 1993
2: in a formal capacity but i'd seen rick through the years whether it be at hotel bars or a nappy convention the television conventions over the years you know in passing if you will and but i hadn't seen him in a long time and it was great to see him but walking in and it was as we were putting the last nitro show together one of the things that we really wanted to see was when you think of WCW and you think of the legacy of WCW, that legacy doesn't exist without Ric Flair. Right. Um, and I dare say that legacy on the other side of that had to be Sting. And Rick hadn't worked in a while at that point they had him doing crazy skits and he was wrestling in his clothes and things like that. Just been doing a lot of goofy stuff, but we felt that that wasn't the way people wanted to remember Ric Flair and WCW. We just really fought for let's have that last Ric Flair match be a Ric Flair match against a classic opponent in Sting. And pitched it and the only request that Rick had was, uh, that he, he was self-conscious about his body because he hadn't, he hadn't taken his shirt off on TV and wrestled a match in so long. Right. He was, he was just self-conscious about it and asked if he could wear a T-shirt. And they are like, we don't care. We just want Ric Flair in the ring. We want to, we want to see the nature boy, Ric Flair. That everybody remembers. We so, don't want to see the goof running around in his underwear and all that other crazy stuff they had him do.
0: So did he just show up with a robe that night? Cause he came to the ring in a robe. If he wasn't planning to wrestle. No, just
2: we, we had, uh, we had let them know on the Saturday before, I believe to bring his stuff, to bring his stuff. And he didn't, he didn't bring his stuff. And we found out that morning and we had his stuff shipped in counter to counter so so somebody we, from the house took yes, it to the
0: airport and yes, then it flew down yes i got it um so after uh that ends why is there no conversation or was there conversation about including rick as part of the invasion angle because he was a lot of big guys weren't there rick even if he wasn't wrestling, he could have been one hell of a mouthpiece to be, to represent WCW. Why do you think he wasn't involved in that?
2: Because of his contract with Time Warner. He wanted to get paid out. And I don't blame him for that. A lot of those guys did. And we weren't going to assume a lot of those high-dollar contracts from Time Warner. So Rick opted to wage his contract out, get paid from Time Warner. And he had worked hard for it, and he got it, and it allowed him to sit out and not have to worked the grind and when his contract was up, even, even then he wasn't, I know, this is hard to believe knowing Rick, but Rick wasn't that interested in the beginning to jump back into the rat race. Wow. And that took, so that took a little bit of convincing. And so I, I
0: w- w- what does that, when does that start? He comes back in November of 2001. His last match was in March. So roughly eight months. When do you guys start having a conversation about bringing him in?
2: Probably a few months after the fact it was, it was one of those situations that, you know, Rick was out there and we didn't, you know, we didn't have that nemesis for Vince really. And it was, we needed somebody, we, we were looking at the brand split and we needed the anti Vince authority figure, if you will. And his name came up. So we, we pursued it. And I dare say, you know, Rick, Rick came back and hadn't missed a beat and they, they loved him, man. They wanted him so bad. And to see him in that ring with Vince, you know, you talk about goosebumps. That was, I think of the Rick Flair moments, his retirement in Orlando at WrestleMania, and when Rick came back in Atlanta, because Rick was so self-conscious, and it's funny that sometimes how he doesn't hear what everybody else is hearing. Right, and he he didn't he was unsure whether or not they would. I don't know if it was that they would remember him or that they would be happy to see him. And he's always thought
0: he wasn't necessarily a big star when he was with the WWF. Yeah, he's
2: wrong. He
0: he didn't consider himself a big draw in California or New York or any of the major WWF markets at that time. Right. I think some of that changed in his mind, you know, with his later WWF stuff, which I'm sure we'll cover. Uh, so he comes back and you guys talk him into it. He has the big, um, uh, I'm I'm co-owner. Uh, i the consortium and uh, Angle, and then supposedly, if you believe Rick, the rumor's an innuendo, as you like to say. He was not supposed to come back and wrestle. He was not. And after coming back in November, he's wrestling in January at the
2: Royal <laughs> Rumble in a street
0: fight against Vince McMahon. Yeah, Car- carry me through how that comes about. What was he originally hired to be? Just an on-air television an, character. An
2: on-air. On-air character, and and he was not. Just that, TV. Just no. TV. He was not going to wrestle. He was not going to be in the ring. And, yeah, a few months later, he's in the ring with the boss. And it, But even that, you know, that had the caveat. It's, it's just going to be a street, a street fight. fight. It's not a real match. Yeah, you know, this isn't a real match, man. You don't have to. You don't have to do all your signature stuff. This is a street fight with events. It's a special attraction. It's a one-off. Well, (laughs) next.
0: So, chat me up. Um,
2: In your opinion,
0: do you think Rick was ever going to be satisfied with that Nitro match against
2: Sting being his retirement match? At the time? cause I hadn't been around Rick on a, a regular basis. I didn't know. I really didn't know. And it was one of those things. He had, had a great career. It was Ric Flair. And you know, what are, what are we going to do now? And when he came back, the, like I said, the, the issue was come back. We just want you as authority figure. And, um, we don't see you in the ring at all. And then yeah, the rest is kind of history. He, he, you can't deny it.
0: A uh, famous little spot in that, uh, Royal rumble match where, um, there's a, a traditional camera used and they take a picture of each other as they're brawling, uh, and it's a camera that the Flair family was using. And years later, uh, Rick had a copy of that sent to him by Vince, framed and it was one of his more cool memories or pieces of memorabilia was Vince kind of known for doing stuff like that. Something that he thought was a moment he shared with a talent, paying special attention to it, having something framed and shipped to him or just something like a little token of appreciation of a memory or a moment in time.
2: Yeah. Vince is real good about that. If he hones in on one thing. Um, he knows something means something to, to somebody. I remember, for example, the, the rock being a big Willie Nelson fan and having a a guitar and we used it as a prop and rock's birthday was coming up and Vince, how, how long did we have? We had not even, I don't think we had a week. And Vince comes to me and, and says, I need a guitar signed by Willie Nelson for the rock for his birthday. I'm like, okay, thumbs up. <laughs> Good for you. I'll get it for me. And I'm like, oh man, you know, it was, it was crazy, but, but we actually, Jerry Briscoe helped out tremendously in that regard. And we, we were able to, to get to Willie through, uh, Billy Gibbons was easy top and we're able to get, get a guitar, get it signed and get it all, all taken care of. So to answer your question, yes, Vince, Vince does do that for, for people. If he knows there's something special there and, uh, it's a special moment. He'll memorialize it.
0: Uh, going into the next, uh, kind of big show after that January, uh pay per view match against Vince McMahon. He's with another big time guy, WrestleMania eighteen against the Undertaker in Toronto. How does this one come about? Uh this is a stacked card. Flair's um maybe not necessarily the first choice I wouldn't imagine to be with the Undertaker at this point. Or would
2: he have been? How did that come about? Rick Flair was Undertaker's choice. Mm. And Undertaker wanted to work with Flair. Okay. And Taker was still doing the American badass gimmick at that point and looking, looking around at his opponents who was there. He wanted to work with flair. So that, that was, that was takers doing. And that was takers choice.
0: Pretty, um, interesting moment in the match. Arn Anderson slides in, gives a a hell of a brain buster or a spine buster rather to, um, the undertaker Obviously, double A, famous for that spine buster. When did you guys sign Arn?
2: We signed Arn on right when we bought WCW. Right after that, so Uh, he
0: he had been with the company for a while, just producing television.
2: Right. We had Arn as one of our backstage producers, and actually, Arn did color on the first WCW, the the one and only. uh, Oh, the the, Tacoma. the The famous Booker T versus Buff Bagwell match in Tacoma, Washington. Arn was color commentator for that, but Arn was helping us behind the scenes as a producer
0: and he's still doing that all these years later, yes, sir. Um, so let's kind of fast forward, uh, Unforgiven in 2002, Triple H is, uh, in the main event for the world title and during the match, Flair comes down and, uh, grabs the sledgehammer from Triple H and teases hitting him. Uh, And then ultimately sides with Triple H and starts attacking Triple H's opponent and Flair turns heel in the process. So now he sided with the top heel in the company, uh, who's also the world champ. So this is the first official pairing of Triple H and Ric Flair. Do you remember how that comes about Uh, from, if you believe, as you would call them, the rumors and innuendo, Triple H was involved, or at least had his hand in the creative process by this point, Would he have been. A horseman Mark and a Flair Mark himself and said, Hey, let me do something with Rick. Put Rick with me.
2: Hate or, that term, Mark. But yes, he was a huge Rick Flair fan without he, a doubt. You
0: know what I mean? I
2: mean, you know, uh, yes. Hunter was a huge Flair fan and it was a way to give more credibility, if you will, to Hunter Sure. by putting him with Flair and having Flair sprinkle Rick Flair dust on Hunter and put the two of them together as old and new and kind of endorse and give the blessing to Hunter as a champion. It it was one of those deals, make Rick a manager of sort, give a little more color and pizzazz to Triple H, if you will. Sure. And uh, throw him out there. But, it, you know, it's funny it, as you talk, and, and obviously I haven't prepared for this <laughs> nearly as much as you. It comes back to me, and every time I, I want to preface everything i say with you know we didn't want rick to work right we had no intention of putting rick back in the ring and then all of these scenarios just come up and happen and
0: it's just organic
2: yeah it just kind of happened
0: well so at what point what did the thought process become hey it's not just going to be rick and triple h we're going to make this into a faction was Triple H's idea all along to make this kind of like a new version of the Four Horsemen? That's at least the way it seems as a fan from the outside. Yeah, somewhat.
2: Somewhat. You've got you know you've got the the stalwart in in Ric Flair. So you you know I'm not going to call Ric old, um, but you had the legend. The legend. You've got the champion now. You've got the beast, the enforcer in Batista, and then you got the future in Randy Orton, and that's kind of how evolution was looked at. And that's how, how we viewed it as a unit. And
0: but that wasn't always the plan. Cause Jen was at least there for some of the promotional materials, you know, the videos and stuff that were shot at first, whose idea was Jen who soured on him. And why the the shift to include Batista rather than Jindrak.
2: Well Jindrac Jindrak was new and they did they, they shot some stuff at a, a, a gentleman's club with Jindrak and they shot some stuff, you know, with a helicopter and some other things with Jindrak. He was the original choice and right about that same time Batista's coming up and it looked like, well, Here we've got this other monster that we know has a big future. Do we put him into this group of workers? Because again, you got Triple H, Randy Orton, Ric Flair, both guys, Jindrak and Batista. But I think there was a bigger upside with Dave Batista to go into evolution. And the decision was made rather abruptly. Let's put Dave in there and go with it. Let me ask why.
0: Uh, I'm, I'm a big Batista fan, full disclosure. But let me ask why on that because Jindrak is like eight or nine years younger than Batista, and it seems like Vince is always kind of skewed on the younger side. Why do you think he wouldn't have? He would. Was it just a size thing? Batista was
2: bigger. No, it was uh, probably a charisma thing. It was a one of those intangible it things that appeared. Less time would have to be invested in Batista because of his look, because of his charisma. So let's fast track him and put him with these guys and get him up to speed. I think it would have taken a lot more work to get Jindrak up to speed. And I dare say that I'm not sure that we would have had the same success with Jindrak. And it was also compatibility. It was... Um, I hate to use the word "clicked," but the, those four guys, being Batista, Flair, Hunter, and Orton, they clicked well. They they fit. They meshed. Yeah.
0: Uh, was there any sort of concern that Batista couldn't be considered, you know, in this top spot after debuting with a, a gimmick like Deacon Batista with Devon? Yes. But that's the I mean outside of it three No, negative, that's the but.
2: reality of it, man. We we, we put him out there in a you know on a collar and sleeveless shirts collecting donations from the crowd.
0: And and now he's with Ric Flair and Triple H. It seems a little like oh, they're gonna buy this.
2: Well the idea was to make as stark of a change as you possibly could, and that was a pretty stark change. Oh yeah, it was. So
0: It was for sure. Uh do you know, you know, what, if any um I mean I'm sure there's some. I just want you to kinda expound on what sort of influence Rick had in the careers of Randy Orton and Batista? Because both of those guys were still trying to kind of make a name for themselves. And now they're obviously superstars, Batista doing stuff even outside of WWE. But some of that, how to be a star. And then the, just the mechanics, the inner workings of the wrestling business in my head, Rick would have been a big asset for them or my way off base. can
2: Can you imagine as a quarterback having a Roger Staubach or a Terry Bradshaw, watch every single play you made and be able to critique and help you on every single play and and every workout. That's what Ric Flair was. Here he was, he was out in their matches at ringside, right, helping them, and he would pick apart and critique every single one of those guys, every single night and help them with nuances and help them with details. And you should have done this here. You should have done that there. You did this really well. Let's expound on that. So having that knowledge and and also being at the ring with them during their matches and be able to call them out and legitimately tell them what to do next. Right. So, yeah, without a doubt, man, Rick, the influence that he had on them in the ring, um, it it was little things like, you know, wear a sport coat, go get your, go get some stuff custom made and look the part, be the man. And there were those little nuanced things that Ric Flair always did that made him stand out head and shoulders above everybody else for so many years. Right. The other guys took for granted. They didn't do. When you you put everybody and you line them up, and some guys may be wearing suits and sport coats and, and uh, have Rolex watches and bleach their hair and so on and so forth. Flair's was tailor-made. Yeah. It fit perfectly. Rick's Rolex had a diamond bezel and sparkled. Yeah, you know Rick's uh, hair—it wasn't one out of place. Right, there. Those were details that you guys either get or they don't. And I used to love it when you would look at the horsemen sometimes, and and uh, they would come out totally always dressed, you know, nice. really nicely. But orange shit didn't fit. Holy shit, didn't fit. Lugers didn't fit. And I get it. They're big guys. And but, but Rick's was literally custom made from head to toe. And he instilled those things in Randy. He instilled that in Batista. And, and Hunter had already been emulating Rick for so many years behind the scenes and in front of the camera that those started to rub off. Rub off and those guys became bigger stars because of the way they presented themselves and carried themselves in and out of the ring. Uh,
0: let's fast forward in this evolution talk. Uh, Rick, uh, actually gets a tag team title run, which a lot of people wouldn't have guessed at this, you know, age of his career stage of his career. Rick wouldn't be winning titles, but he did. Uh, he was the uh, tag team champ with, uh, Batista. And they won that at Armageddon three. And that was also the show where Randy Orton won the intercontinental belt. So if you're keeping up, uh, this stable kind of a horseman, like has all the belts here, triple H is the world champ having defeated Goldberg, uh, evolution as they're called Ric Flair and Batista are the tag champs and Randy Orton is the intercontinental champ. So these guys have all the belts. Was this another kind of nod to the horseman? Do you think?
2: Sure. I mean, it was a formula that worked. It was put all the gold on the heels and have your top baby faces chasing Chase. them. Yeah. So it was a formula that worked.
0: Uh eventually, um the decision is made to have um Benoit lose the belt to Randy Orton at SummerSlam and Orton becomes the youngest champ ever and then he is promptly kicked out of the group by Triple H. Uh and the the group starts to kind of uh break up so to speak. Eventually let's fast forward. Since this is the Ric Flair show, you guys have what uh, many have called a night in Greenville and this is 2003. This would come on the heels of a pay-per-view match, uh, with Kevin Nash and triple H and on this match in storyline, there's some sort of situation where, um, the general manager is requiring that triple H defend the belt. I'm doing all this from memory. I hope I'm getting it right, but he's required to defend the belt and he has to defend it against a former world champion. Uh, and triple H gets to pick the champ. So he picked trick flair and everyone kind of assumes, oh, well it's his buddy. He's just going to lay down and more and more as we see kind of the backstage vignettes happen, we start to realize, wait a minute, Flair's going to take this serious. And he cuts one hell of a promo, one of his best of his career at that phase. Uh, and he's wearing a purple robe and in, in the, uh, in the back. And he says, you know, I want to see you at your best. I, I want the game, you know, I want to know that I can still do it. And so they go out and have a really phenomenal match. And me as a fan, I had suspended disbelief. I thought, holy shit, they're really going to do this. They're going to give him one more title run. Ultimately, of course, Triple H wins. But then afterwards, and they showed this on one of the Flair DVDs, the entire locker room comes out, empties, uh, celebrates with some beer, uh, hoists flare up on their shoulders. It's a big celebration. I guess my question is, whose idea was this angle and this match? When did Rick know? Um, Because he's all over this show. And was there ever any real consideration Of giving him a title run at that stage of his career.
2: I want to say it was Michael Hayes' idea. And I produced that interview you talk about. I love it. And it was was one of those situations where we fought about it from the standpoint of what's logical? Right. What makes sense? And, And, you know, the philosophy I always say, you know, what if? And we played this scenario out, and after a while, it was very difficult to poke holes in it. And as you just said, I think that the majority of the people that were watching were saying, Oh my God, they're going to uh, drop the title to wreck. They're, they're going to switch the title. And there were some people that were in that camp to switch title that night. I was in the camp of that's what everybody's thinking. let's don't do it because reality based when you look at the two it, it to me it was more reality based for Hunter to beat him. and but also at the same time, reality based it was so great to see Rick Flair in the ring competing at that level against the guy that was the best in the business at that time in triple h for the championship and every single person in the arena and i dare say everybody watching at home was able to suspend their disbelief and go damn it are they really going to do it and you felt that and there was that emotion and at the end of it if you thought you know what Really, Triple H is the better guy, and, and he should be. You wanted him to win. Even if you went into it in the beginning going, ah, forget it. This is ridiculous. By the end of that match, you were believing. You were believing and you were rooting for him. Absolutely. And you wanted so badly. I'm watching it at the gorilla position, and I'm sitting there looking, and, and, and of course, Michael Hayes is doop, doop, Yep, told you. And we're sitting there going, <laughs> and we're sitting there going, Shoot, man, maybe We should've did it. Well God, you know, what if we did it? Um Was there any
0: consideration right there to getting in the refs headset? No. And doing it right there? No,
2: no, because we had too many plans going forward and we you know, it just was one of those one of those deals is beautiful moment and you look through Rick's career, there were so many of those beautiful moments. There really were. But that was that was one it, when you first started talking about this, I I'm sitting here thinking to myself, where the hell is he going? When you got into him, oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember that whole night of of placing the doubt and the talking down to Rick and building him up. And we actually had to build Rick up to that point all night long. And I I had a way of producing some guys, um, Rick being one of them, uh, Big Show being another one where I would get in their heads with every negative thing that was ever said to them in real life to get them to fire Give back. Give me an example. Just, uh, you're a loser. You're an old man. You can't do this anymore. Nobody wants to see an old man out there and trunks compete because they know, look at this stud. He's bigger. He's stronger. He's faster. He's better. You might have been able to hang 20 years ago, but today it's not your ring anymore. And he would sit there and listen to this. Oh, I don't even know why the hell we're doing this. Nobody's going to believe this. How the hell can anybody believe Rick? I mean, maybe back in WCW, but not here, not on the show. I don't know if you got it anymore. And that's really how we came up with this.
0: And he got fired and up. And he got fired up. A tremendous
2: promo. Because all of a sudden, all of the negativity of things that people had said and whispered behind his back. That drove him. And say, oh yeah? Watch this. He delivered in the promo. He delivered in the ring. and And that was a beautiful moment to me where you sat there and went, yeah. Because... I, I come from that place. I, I, I would always listen to the, the negativity in my career drove me to succeed and flip the middle finger at everybody who said I couldn't do it. Right. And Rick was the same way and being able to, to pump him up for that. And I did it slowly because I didn't want that attitude at the beginning of the night, at right. the beginning of the night. I want to doubt. Right. And he gave it. I mean, and, and you look at, look at throughout that series and you see Rick growing more confident, more questioning. Well, well, you know, maybe he's right. Or, well, wait a minute. No, I still got it. Do you? What what happens when the bell rings, Rick? I mean, are, are you really going to be able to take that bump? He not only took it, he took it better than anybody else. And did it all. And proved that, you know, so I was a... <laughs> I used to love to tell him when he come in and go, Hey, you're Ric Flair. Don't forget that.
0: It's, um, it's worth watching if you're listening and you've never actually seen this, I can't recommend it enough. It's May 19th, 2003 is that date of raw. It is on the network. Uh, it's also on YouTube. If you're not a network subscriber, it's out there uh, and it's worth checking out for sure. Um, we don't have enough time to go through all things, Ric Flair in the WWF. Uh, I'd really like to at another time, kind of continue this, uh, but I do want to finish 2003. We kind of jumped around and talked a little bit about evolution and how that ended, uh, of course that was, uh, not in Oh three. Um, but we're just, you know, bouncing around talking about Ric Flair on a very special edition of the Ric Flair show, but before I let you go, Bruce, I can't help, but wonder WrestleMania 20. Uh, is a, a topic that a lot of people are talking about right now, because that was the source of the original Goldberg Brock Lesnar match. And we're going to see that rematch at survivor series this weekend, but Rick was on this show and had kind of an interesting situation. And I've always wanted to know how this comes about, uh, evolution versus the rock and sock connection. So Mick Foley had been retired. The rock's been off making movies. But they're going to come back now and take on a three-man team of Randy Orton, Batista, and Ric Flair. Can you kind of curious through how this gets put together and whose idea this is? Because the rock and side connection, while it was a big thing, it didn't seem likely that these guys would ever be here again. Uh, Foley has in later years said that he wasn't really tickled with this performance and, uh, backstage Austin told him that he dropped the ball in this match. What did you think of the match? Whose idea was it? Kind of talk to us about WrestleMania 20.
2: Well, it was looking for something, something for Rock to do, and it, 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 basically, it was looking for something for all those guys to do that would be big and putting, getting Rock involved in it and Mick, and it was all big players,
0: yeah, involved absolutely.
2: in that match. So it was a situation where you know let's throw them all into one match, and it didn't work. It just, it just what didn't, what didn't work. you like about it? You had five really strong personalities involved in that thing, and it's hard to put the spotlight on anyone. And it just didn't work; it just didn't mesh for that night. But you look at the stuff Foley did with Orton. You look at the stuff Foley did with Flair, you, and and all those guys individually. You would have thought that this is going to be great. It's going to be entertaining as hell. It just it was just one of those things. It just didn't work. It just it just didn't work. And then you, you fast forward a little bit and you look at, uh, the time short time when, uh, Rick and Roddy Piper were tag team champions and it was kind of like the, uh, we called it the golden girls tour. Uh, I could get away with it cause I was friends with, <laughs> with Roddy and Rick, but it, it was like a couple of old ladies in there sometimes as, as they were getting ready, but they, To see Flair and Piper together at that period in their career, to me, uh, from a friend's standpoint, I loved it. It was entertaining as hell to me. And they were out there every single night teaching, you know, some of the younger kids how you can still do it. And they had a lot of fun doing it, and it was was crazy. I remember being overseas and and Piper – having this humongous bruise for lack of a better term where his i guess his liver should have been and and rick's knee all blown up and um and both guys holding themselves together with with tape but they kept going you know and, and it was a testament to who the hell they were and and looking at like I said before, you know, and and we can end on this is Rick's retirement in Orlando. Um, I cried, man. I I think we were 10 minutes into the match and I was crying like a baby. Who's that?
0: Um, you know, obviously had a really long run here and Rick actually, this is going to annoy a lot of listeners. I'm sure. But Rick credits a lot of his fame and notoriety and success. He has on the appearance circuit now to this run with the wwe more so than any of the other stuff because he had a bigger audience watching him right um so I, I don't think a lot of people expected him to be around as long as he did but it's kind of one of those things where you just don't want it to end and i'm curious you were in creative meetings at the time whose idea was all right we're writing him off tv Vince's. and so he he had just Grown tired of it, or he felt he was too old or he didn't like
2: this cosmetic look. Vince wanted Rick to go out on top. Okay. And felt that Rick was at that point where it was time to, if he went on any longer, that people would start looking at him as just holding on too long. Right. And Rick was acceptable to the idea at first and it was a situation where Vince was looking at it and trying to help Rick and protect Rick from himself and say, hey, man, let's go out on top and retire, put you in the Hall of Fame where you belong, and we'll find something else for you to do as a goodwill ambassador and go out on top because that's the way that Ric Flair should go out. So we started... You know, started the plan.
0: What did you, what did you think of the execution of the buildup for it with the old, the old yeller promos and stuff like that?
2: I loved it because it, it's what I think a lot of people were thinking. And as I said, they would say a lot of that stuff under their breath and, and behind his back. So it was real life. Here's one of the greatest of all time reaching the end of his career. And here's the younger guy that emulated him his entire career. That's got to do the old yeller and take him out behind the barn and shoot him because he couldn't sacrifice his own career and it was real life. I mean, it happens in, in jobs and you talk about dusty roads and the hard time promos, you work at the same job for 30 years and you get a gold watch and you kick to the curb, right? And. That was real life and it was an opportunity for Rick to go out on top and to go out by one of the best of all time in Shawn Michaels.
0: Now he certainly was. Um, you know, it was a fitting finish, uh, maybe the finest finish, you know, ever in wrestling. I can't think of a better retirement in wrestling, can
2: you? No. I really can't.
0: Uh, of his WWF run, um, since we're kind of just going to leave this to WWF, we'll talk about him and TNA uh, another time, I'm sure. But do you have any matches that you would recommend that you would think people should go check out?
2: Well, without a doubt, definitely the, the last one was Sean. And and you brought it up. You, you want to talk about emotion and working a crowd and building a story, that Triple H match. Tells a simple story and it builds. And by the end of that match, if you weren't rooting for him at the beginning, I think everybody was rooting for him at the end. And Rick told great stories in the ring. Uh,
0: I know that's what it's all about. Uh, As a fan, let me recommend uh, a couple other ones. I really enjoyed his um, 2005 feud with Triple H. Uh, Some phenomenal promos there. Maybe my favorite promo ever was from October of that year on raw, uh, but they had two matches in October of 2005 at taboo Tuesday in a cage match survivor series, 2005 with triple H in a last man standing match. Those matches were just phenomenal. If you're just in the mood for another, uh, bloody cage match with Ric Flair from this era, the year before at taboo Tuesday, he took on Randy Orton, uh,
2: great match.
0: You like that one best? Yes. You liked it better than the triple H ones.
2: Yes. Why is that? Because it was, uh, Rick taking Randy to school. Okay.
0: I'm not mad at it. Uh, I also enjoyed, uh, and I might be in the minority on this. What did you think of the, the work he did with Mick Foley in the WWF? I know they tried to recreate some of that in TNA, but man, they were really getting after each other, uh, in the WWF and it included Mick doing some hardcore Matched stuff, uh, thumbtacks and barbed wire, baseball bats, and all that with, with Ric Flair that we never thought we would see. Uh, what was your take on all
2: that? It was real emotion. And the two, the two felt very strongly about one another. I'm not going to say they were the best of friends. So it was real. It was real emotion. And that always works. It always works. Because if the competitors believe it, if the performers believe it, the audience will believe it,
0: uh, it is worth checking out they did a two out of three falls match. Um, uh, Mick Foley, I mean, and Ric Flair at vengeance, 2006, uh, if you'd like to go out of your way to check that out, uh, anything else we want to mention about Ric Flair's run in the WWF, it seems like uh, we could just go on and on and on. Uh, but this is the Ric Flair show, and we're trying to uh, just kind of fill in for the champ uh, while he's away. If you want to continue that Mick Foley, Ric Flair stuff, you can see more of that. Uh, greater, I'm sorry, SummerSlam 2006. They have an I Quit match. Uh, these guys were obviously uh, maybe um, a little older than they than they could have put on a match like this in WCW. But still, the emotion of it, like you said, resonated. Uh, anything else worth checking out or mentioning in the Ric Flair era of the WWF?
2: No, not off the top of my head. You know, it's just uh, after 30 plus years <laughs> hanging with Rick, you know, it's been a hell of a ride. And and we've had a lot of fun over the years and it's uh, it's it's been crazy.
0: Do you have a fun Ric Flair travel story you can share with us once upon a time you've told us The Vegas story, uh, when we've done a show together with Rick in the past, um, about how you guys were with competing companies, but that didn't keep you from having one hell of a time. Yes, we did. (laughs) (laughs) Everywhere Rick goes, he has a good time. Do you have any other fun stories you could mention?
2: No. you know, I remember the first time I ever gave Rick a ride was in Houston, Texas, and we he was staying out at the Ramada Inn out at Hobby Airport. That that hotel's not even there anymore. And as we were driving to the airport, he says, man, he goes, do you guys have this thing? Uh, it's called Popeye's fried chicken here. And I said, Popeye's? Hell yeah. I said, yeah, man. He goes, I haven't eaten it Any way we could stop and get something to eat? I said, sure. So we go through the Popeye's drive-thru, and we get there. He orders. 20 spicy chicken breasts, 20, 20 and 20 jalapenos, 20 chicken breasts, 20 chi- spicy chicken breasts and 20 jalapenos. And we get back and, and I'm thinking, man, he's having a party and he's like, Hey Bruce, thank you. You know, I'm, I'm just beat. And I said, really? You're not going to have a beer? And we drank two beers in the in the hotel bar and I keep waiting for him to break out that damn chicken. And he kept it in the bag and says, Man, I'm gonna go to bed. I'm dead, and I gotta eat my chicken. That son of a bitch went to his room, twenty chicken bread twenty <laughs> and twenty jalapenos. There's no chance he ate all that. He probably you know, he probably uh, pulled the skin off of it. Oh, for and, sure. And ate that with all the jalapenos. And if Jim Cornette had been within a 100-mile radius, Corny probably would have come behind him and eaten all the skin. Well, well, Why the hell are you leaving all the goddamn good skin there? That's the best part of the chicken. Corny used to get hot when guys would take the skin off the chicken. He'd go behind him and eat just the chicken skins. Well, we are um, we get hot at each other quite a bit, uh, usually on Fridays. Everybody- How come you were so much nicer to me on the Ric Flair show? But in two days, you're gonna beat me up and brutalize me on something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard It drops at noon on uh, Fridays
0: yeah it's um I don't know it's a different format maybe we'll go with
2: that well we we could go with that I mean, I wish I had a t-shirt for that, but you can. Get my t shirts at ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash Bruce Pritchard. They also have Ric Flair shirts at Pro Wrestling Teas as well. They do. There.
0: You can pick up some official Ric Flair Show shirts or some Bruce Pritchard shirts. And man, I appreciate you kind of jumping in here and tag teaming uh, the Ric Flair Show with me this week while Rick is busy shooting a commercial that everybody's going to see very soon. Uh, sorry for a little bit of an audible, but we did try to make it as Ric Flair centric as possible. All about Ric Flair working with vince mcmahon this week all right so listen that's going to wrap everything up here today i appreciate everybody tuning in and and, and hope that we provided a worthwhile distraction for you i realized this was something totally different and i hate to let you down but unfortunately in this particular circumstance i don't know how it could have been avoided i didn't want to just have nothing posted i certainly wanted to give you guys some content my original idea was to do uh an interview series where i just maybe knocked out four or five quick guests, even though we never really do that here on the show. And I was going to make it hall of fame centric, but if that was up in the air too, maybe that didn't feel like that was the best idea. So as I dug through my hard drive, I found some old content that I thought maybe the masses hadn't heard. And it was sort of a, uh, as Michael Cole would say, vintage Bruce and Conrad and I hope you guys enjoyed it today. And I hope that we're back with you next week, uh, doing hashtag ask Bruce anything. I have a lot of fun with those. I think they're probably one of my favorite formats that we can do on the show because we can cover so many separate topics and we do have a full slate of great stuff planned coming your way. We still would like to do WrestleMania 11, WrestleMania 21, Paul Bearer. I'm going to push Bruce to do nails Uh, hacksaw. Jim Duggan is on the docket. And of course, backlash. five, lots of great stuff coming your way Uh, again. Sorry for the delay. It's a weird time here in our lifetime right now. and, And I'm sure we'll talk about this for a long, long time. It almost feels like a sign of a movie, but, uh, it's reality. And, uh, I hope that everybody listening to this is healthy and happy. And we'd love to get your feedback. Follow us on the, uh, shows, social media channels. Let's keep in touch. Let's keep a dialogue going. I'm proud to say that, uh, as wrestling fans, we sort of, uh, create our own little wrestling families and, uh, I'm proud to have you guys as a part of mine and, and hope that you welcome me into yours. Until next week, stay safe, stay clean, keep those hands washed and, uh, keep your ears out. Hopefully another something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard's is coming your way. Next Friday. I don't, I mean, I guess I should. Okay. We'll see you next week. Right here on something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Shaka. Khan. Oh, I did that wrong. Man, eh, he'll do it right next week.
1: John brings his skewed sense of humor Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round Together, it's those weekend golf guys They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Tylus and Callaway and blah, 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 blah. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10 What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you can pay me more Jeff Smith right? teaches on a sliding scale <laughs> Those weekend golf guys, the podcast Part of the Believe Network Just search BLEAV on YouTube or wherever you listen